Hello, Marquette basketball fans. Welcome back to the Golden Breakdown. I'm your host, Adam Woke. It's been a minute, hasn't it? Uh, we apologize for the hiatus. Um, in full transparency, we had our first child uh, in January, and it's been quite the adjustment. Uh, and, you know, I want to be able uh, to jump on here and deliver good content to all of you, and I, I just wasn't able to do that uh, over the last month. So, you know, we're going to make some changes to the format a little bit next year. We're going to bring in some more voices. Uh, and, you know, this is our first year doing this. And so we really appreciate you taking the time to listen. Uh, this has been an absolute joy for us. And with the news, we had to do this pod. We had to jump on. And we're joined today by Tom Keegan. Uh, he has written for newspapers all over the country, uh, radio shows, and I think is also going to give us a really cool perspective um, during his time writing. Uh, one of the beat writers for Kansas basketball uh, because they suffered quite the defeat uh, to VCU uh, in those Shaka smart days. Uh, so we're so happy to have you back. Let's get over to the pod. All right, Marquette Hoops fans, we're back here at the Golden Breakdown. Uh, we're here with show producer Dr. Mike Keegan, and today we are so lucky to be joined by Tom Keegan, uh, who has written everywhere, who has radio spots, uh, who we're going to have to tap into at some point because that time he spent with the Kansas Jayhawks was during that VCU run. So, so Tom, we're going to hit you up on that at some point, but I don't want to get there yet because uh, I think uh, where I want to start is I, I kind of want to wrap a bow on the on the Woj era. Uh, you know, seven years um, of Woj uh, left us with, I think, some ups, some downs. Uh, you know, for me, I think you know, some of the positives is, you know, there are guys that I have uh, been or teams I've been fans of uh, where I, the coach is just a bad dude and, and you're just so happy to see him going. And that's not the case with Woj. I think he did bring a lot of at least integrity to the position um, you know, I, I, I thank him for the Marcus Howard years, uh, very exciting to, to, to have Marcus Howard, but, uh, far more letdowns basketball wise, uh, than, than real successes. Um, you know, what, what are some things that really just stood out to you over the last couple of years before we start talking Shaka? Yeah. All those positive you mentioned other than Howard are the bare minimum. You know, if you're going to coach at Marquette, you have to have integrity. You know, you don't have to necessarily be a nice guy because nice guys don't always finish first. Sometimes they finish <laughs> last, as Leo Rocher told us. But uh, I think what stands out from the Wojo years for me is his winning percentage in Big East games. We all know he went winless in, uh, you know, conference. I mean, in uh, the NCAA tournament. But I think a more telling stat is that he had a losing record in Big East regular season games. Buzz Williams, 64% winning percentage in Big East play. Tom Crean, 62% in Big East play. So that's the bottom line that tells you he just wasn't good enough to be the Marquette basketball coach. I'd say what stood out to me was he was able to, to recruit talented players to the team. You know, you got Henry Ellenson, you got Marcus Howard, you got Dawson Garcia, but was never really able to uh, make a team greater than the sum of its parts. And guys really didn't develop from freshman year to senior year 
as overall team basketball players. A lot of guys would develop their skill levels that they came with. You know, Marcus Howard came as a, as a great shooter. He left as a great shooter. Um, you know, Henry Ellenson never really developed into a team player in that year that he was here. He just got a ton of shots up. Um, so I'd say what stood out to me was his inability to develop players as team focused players. Yeah. And, and, you know, not only the lack of develop of the individual player, but his own development as a coach running an offensive system. I mean, it, uh, you know, anyone who has listened to the pod over the last year has heard me banging my head against the wall, watching him run the exact same three plays over and over and over again. And, you know, I, I think, you know, when you go back and look at Helen Ellenson's one and done and, and you look at a little of Hauser's leaving and, and you read the tea leaves a little bit and you see some of the tweets and you hear some of the stories, I think those are guys who saw that lack of evolution in what he was doing and stunted a little bit of their own growth. I mean, you know, this is petty, right? The Ellenson's, you know, not following Woj anymore. And I think his mom tweeted something ominous. These are little things, you know, this isn't a, but I think they tell a little bit of a story of what we were also seeing on the court. And I think this is a good transition to the next part here of, you know, when they fired Woj, I was, you know, the, the days leading up before his firing, it started to become apparent that it was actually a real possibility. If you would have asked me in January, I would have been like, no way. The, the financials don't make sense. And, and you just saw the pressure down the stretch there. And so, you know, when it happened, you know, and I started to look at the field of the people that were out there, the things that I really valued more than anything were, were offensive systems with options and, and someone who could really teach fundamentals. Uh, and so when we, we first started looking around the field, the, I, I was, I've been enamored with Porter Moser. I have been a gigantic fan of his for, for a really long time. Uh, and that's the guy at first that I really wanted to see them pull into this team. And, and it seemed like, you know, it seemed like he was one of the, the, the hot candidates here. You know, you know what, what were some of the things that you guys were looking for? Who were some of the candidates as, uh, as, as when once Woj was fired that you guys were kind of leaning towards or were interested in? Well, I didn't wait for him to get fired because, I mean, I thought he should have been fired. And I'm one of the few who wasn't surprised that he was fired. And I mean, it just made no sense to bring him back. Uh, you know, you guys raised good points about his offense and about not developing players, although Theo John got a lot better in his senior year. And there's some other examples you could point to. But uh, the thing I was looking for is, number one, because I covered Kansas football Year after year, they'd overthink the coaching hires. They try to get fits and this and that. No, you got to start with this as your number one thing. Is he a good basketball coach? When they hired Wojo, that was the one question you couldn't answer because he was an assistant. So I wanted to see him get a head coach. Uh, first two guys I zoned in on were Dennis Gates and Porter Moser. Uh, DeVries at Drake for a while intrigued me, uh, but Porter Moser, to me, it's not surprising that he worked with Rick Majerus so closely, because you look at their careers, Moser at Loyola is a lot like Majerus 
at Ball State. He did amazing things at Ball State that nobody does. Moser, amazing things at Loyola that nobody does. I kind of thought uh, Moser's Utah to Majerus's Utah would be Marquette. And he would bring his system, which you can't get right away to take a couple of years. And he would get better recruits, not drastically better, because he's obviously a good judge of talent and got good recruits at Loyola, but do even better things than he's done at Loyola at Marquette. And I thought Porter, Porter Moser would have been a terrific choice. Well, and, you know, a lot of people sort of were weary about Moser's ability to recruit. But, you know, it, it, it's not just about the coach's ability to recruit. It's also about, like, the resources and the system that the college puts around you to help do that, the assistance that you hire. I mean, look at the assistance on Moja's staff that got – jobs other places because of how good a recruits they were. I don't know if that played a role in the decision with Shoal when he was thinking about this with Moser, because, you know, that was the only thing that I think people knocked him on. But to what you're saying, Tom, I think sometimes we focus on getting the best players rather than getting the right players. And Moser Correct. was very good at getting the right players to play the game the way he needed them to. You know who was both during the course of his career? terrific at getting the right players and awful at getting the right players. Shaka smart, terrific at getting the right players. I maintain he was a better recruiter at VCU than he was at Texas, even though he uh, recruited zero, zero top hundred players at VCU and not including the 2021 class recruited 13 top hundred players at Texas. So the whole, we have to re-examine the whole good recruiter, bad recruiter, and think of it more as a GM. Is he putting the right pieces together? And at Texas, it didn't flow together. And, you know, there are, are reasons to be excited. You can talk yourself into being excited about Shaka Smart. But if someone starts with, wait, wait a minute, he did a good job at Texas. No, tune him out. He did not. You're in denial. You're in that honeymoon phase where no matter who they hired you'd be over the moon because he's not wojo so forget that he did not do well at texas he has to learn from that go back somewhat to what he did at vcu probably and and really vet his recruits better than he did at texas forget their ranking look at him can he help marquette win yeah tom you bring up a great point um jay wright did struggle for a few years there at Villanova. And that's when he was bringing in a ton of top rated recruits, higher rated than he'd ever had before, but they just, the pieces just didn't fit. And he learned from that. He has said multiple times that he learned from that, where maybe I'll look at a guy that's rated 40, 50 slots lower, that actually is going to fit into what I'm trying to do. So hopefully, like you said, Shaka will learn from that. Uh, because I think Wojo fell into that trap a lot too, just chase the highest rated players rather than for a system type fit. And, uh, you know, I'd love to see him uh, bring in those guys, like you were saying at VCU and run more of a up-tempo system. Well, yeah, 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 go you, ahead, know, Tom. But, uh, uh, you look at Bill Self at, at Kansas and Bill Self has had, I think, nine one and done players. None of those one-and-done players played in the Final Four, and Bill Self had three Final Four teams. 
those three final four rosters had zero one-and-done guys. Andrew Wiggins scored four points in his final game because he got – and in, in the press conference to announce he was leaving, his mother said "I'm three times, she said, I'm so glad he didn't get hurt. Look, I don't think they should be forced to play a year of college. I think they should be allowed to go straight to the NBA. But the problem is you've got to really know which one-and-done guy you're getting. Josh Jackson, totally invested, complete winner. Andrew Wiggins had one toe in college and his eyes on the, on the NBA, which is fine, but you got to know who you're getting. I think that's a really good point. I mean, when you look at, uh, you know, Shaka Smart's rankings in recruiting in 2016, it was the sixth best team, 17, sixth best team, eighth, uh, 17. So, I mean, he was been in the top 10, top 20 in recruiting for, for multiple years. And let's get into a little bit of that VCU Texas difference, because, you know, when I've, I went back and I, I watched as much film as I possibly could have VCU Shaka and, and Kansas Shaka. And, you know, I, I was thinking a little bit exactly what you were saying, Tom, I felt like it, Texas, he almost dumbed down his offense a little bit to allow for more individual efforts uh, when it came to scoring, you know, when you compare to what he was doing at VCU in VCU it was pass two dribbles, pass two dribbles, pass. And they would go through the whole shot clock and just to wait to see if the system could get the best shot. But when I'm watching Texas, you know, it, a lot of his base offense is, is one in four out. And in Texas, when the shot clock, I felt like every time it would get down to 10 seconds, it was just the guy off the dribble to see what he would do. And that that's a big difference to me. And this is something I also, I think I struggled with Woj a little bit when we've brought Dean around who has been a little, he was, he's been on the staff with Woj. So he's seen him. You know, he talks a lot about the independence and creativity that Woj gives his. And, and for those of you that can't see Tom's got just a wonderful bobblehead of Dina right now on full display. We'll make sure to, to add that to the Twitter post later, but you know, Dina talked about the individual freedom that Woj gives players. And a lot of guys these days, I think are attracted to that. And you see, I think, you know, a lot of the really skilled players are attracted to that. And I think that can lull you into a bad coaching spot and Shaka, I feel like, really found himself in that. I think that's a great point. And Wojo did that, you know, take it. It works at Duke because you've got five All-Americans out there, and they can take their man. At Marquette, you'll have one or two at a time out there who can really take their man. And it, it just – it didn't – didn't what works at Duke doesn't work at, at uh, Marquette. And, like – at Duke, if, if you got Samir Torrance and he is too aggressive with a pass or misses a shot, you can yank him right away at Duke and replace him with someone who's just as good. At Marquette, you couldn't yank Samir Torrance and, and replace him with someone who's just as good a playmaker because he was their best passer by far. And so it, it all depends on who your players are. Look, at Duke has more All-Americans than Kansas. Duke can dribble and, and take it, take your man. Kansas relied on the ball movement you're talking about VCU doing, where you move the ball so rapidly, and then whoever ends up with the ball in his hands when the defense is a step or two behind is the guy who takes the shot. And that's why you see so much balanced scoring most years at Kansas. And, uh, you know, Marquette's not – I hope they're not going to have a bunch of one-and-dones because I think that's a mistake, but – I do think Shaka, if he gets back to who he is, 
can recruit even more athletic players to, to Marquette than he did at VCU and hopefully can get back to doing what he did there only even a little better. And that's why I've, 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 you know, I'll be honest. I was really devastated when Porter Moser didn't get the job. I, 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 I think he's the next great thing in basketball uh, wrong or right. I, I just, I love everything. And so it took me a couple of days, but as I was, you know, and, and it, it's not a huge knock against Shaka because there are things that are definitely significantly better with Shaka than Woj when it comes no to question. the X's and O's of basketball. You know, some of the things that a smarter thing. human being, I think. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at the way that um, Shaka was running his offensive sets, even at Texas, the way that he would disguise his ball screens, uh, the way he rotates guys from the bottom up to the top, um, the way that they do direct handoffs for five seconds to start a possession to get the defense not guessing what they're going to do. You know, Woj, it was the same ball handler, the same screeners at the same spots of the floor. He would never disguise it. Everybody knew what was coming every single time. And, and a thing that I really hated with Woj is that he would run like one action and then if it wasn't there, it'd be like, all right, dribble it out. Let's start it up again. Let's start over. There was no flow. And it's some of the things I really like with Shaka, even at Texas, which was, I think, a watered-down version of his offense, is that there was a lot of flow from side to side with the ball and a lot of disguises in his actions. He doesn't just run the one in and the four out. He runs a lot of really cool, like, horn actions where he'll actually line everybody up to the free throw line or he'll stagger his horns, which I think is really cool stuff and at vcu is even better i mean the way he was having guys off the ball curl around screens i mean we would run that same stupid play with Woj, where he would have uh, i think it was garcia and john setting a screen for elliot to get an open three he'd run that same play every game it worked one time and he never adjusted off of it, you know, and that was my thing. Like there would be times where like Theo John's defender knew that play was coming. He'd step around the screen, but Theo would never adjust or move. I've watched several sets from Shaka where he would run the same, what looked like the same play. And then all of a sudden the screener would ghost, he would kick out and, and to, to, to have an action off an action to keep a defense on its feet is something that I think is going to be a huge, huge difference for, I think, at least the general Marquette basketball fan who's really going to enjoy that type of game. Now, here's where I'll, I'll rank Moser ahead of both Smart and Wojo. Two different areas. Uh, one, or Smart at VCU ahead of Smart at Texas also. At VCU, every single year that Smart was all six years, when he won seven tournament games, that's pretty darn good at VCU. Uh, so in other words, twice to the round of 32 after the final four run, that's pretty darn good. Every single year, he had more assists than turnovers. At Texas, he had more turnovers than assists in four of the six years. And I believe Wojo was like five of the seven years, more turnovers than assists. And now here's a second area, which is totally off the stat board, but I love body language. I love studying body language uh, when you're watching trials and stuff to try to figure out if people are lying. Well, if you uh, look up confident body language, they might as well have a picture of Porter Moser. You could draw a straight line from his earlobe through his hip down to his ankle. He stands tall, his shoulders are back. Everything about it projects confidence. 
Wojo, he'd stand there in that defensive, insecure position with his arms crossed, standing on the bench watching the game, standing next to the bench watching the game. Drove me nuts. Shaka, hands in pockets. And I thought, that's not a good, so I looked it up. Powerless. That's powerless. And as a coach, yeah, you want to empower your players, but you have to be the authority figure. I would work on that if I were Shaka. I really would. I think it's significant that he's standing on the sideline with his hands in his pockets. And if you see the the cool video Marquette released on GoMarquette.com of him touring the L. McGuire Center, which he said he had been to before, and I wonder if there was an AAU tournament there or what. I don't. I don't think. He, I don't know, but uh, it's interesting to find out where he was before. But it, he, his hands are in his pockets for that tour, and I, I, I don't know. That scares me. Yeah, you mentioned the confidence thing uh, with with Moser. Um, his players definitely play with confidence. So you notice that when they get in ruts or when they start losing a lead, they don't fold. They come right back. They just keep coming in waves. They're confident in their system. They're confident in their style. They're confident in themselves. And I think that shines through in what you're saying with that body language. They play with confident body language. So that is one thing that I would love to see Marquette players, again, play with extreme confidence. Yeah, they were definitely playing tight for Wojo. They just were. He's an uptight guy. He's an intense guy. He's by all measures a good guy, everyone says, but but he just didn't project confidence. And the players kind of played looking over their shoulders, you know. I mean, uh, not Marcus Howard because he had the ultimate green light, not Henry Ellenson because he had two green light. Henry Ellenson, uh, it's almost like, all right, I got this McDonald's All-American. I want him to tell other McDonald's All-Americans to come play for me. So I'll just let him do whatever he feels like doing. This was a phenomenal rebounder who too often was shooting three-point shots at a clip of 28%. That's not good. You don't want your best rebounder that far from the hoop trying to audition for the NBA. Uh, Not good. Marcus Howard uh, obviously had a phenomenal career. He's in the NBA. Uh, But at the end of those games, that stretch of games where He's just standing there, uh, Sam Hauser's wide open for a three in shooting position and, and Howard's triple covered and throws up an air ball. And in the game um, where he had the wrist injury, Howard and could barely shoot. And they call the play for, uh, uh, for Howard. And Sam and, you know, Sam looks at Joey and his, his, Body language said, well, what's the point? Why are we still here? You know, and so that was not surprising to see your second and third on the team in minutes played, points, rebounds, everything, and they transfer. That was just, and then they gave him an extension. That was unbelievable. That that was really brutal. Give him an extension after that happens. Just Yeah, I didn't understand that at all. That's a email practice right there. (laughs) <laughs> yes an extension with a huge buyout uh yeah um yeah i didn't really understand that either because to me that was the season that was supposed to be the culmination of wojo's growth as a coach and 
the kind of stacking the experience and then it all comes together. But what actually happened was it all fell apart. And I think it might have been a bit of a mirage too. I went back and looked at that season. Um, I think they went 12 and two to start the Big East season, but they only played, the Big East was very weak that year. They only played four tournament teams in that stretch and only four, yeah, I think that's four okay, teams. Though. They were 12 and two. I wouldn't sure. diminish 12 and two, no matter who they played. You know what I mean? I, 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 I just think you have to get better as the season progresses and they got, they tuned him out. They get tired of his voice. Sure. Sure. I, I just think it, it was uh, just looking at it. It may have been that the best stretch was really not even that great of a stretch. And I, I'm I using know, that I, as an indictment of him as a coach. No, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I would say that was a positive stretch. Just like, you know, Rick Majerus running up those records uh, at Ball State. They didn't have the toughest competition. You give them credit for winning. You only have to beat who you're playing. And Wojo didn't do it enough. And so he's gone as coach. And I'll tell you, my favorite moment of the Chaka Smart uh, press conference was when he was talking up Travis Diener because that told me that maybe if he asked Diener to be on his staff, Travis would say yes, as long, which I'd be great with, as long as he lets him play in the tournament in the summer. We need that dagger three from him again, because that's going to be important. And I think, you know, what's interesting is, and please, I am completely speculating on this. I don't know one way or the other, but there seemed to be a distance between the way Diener saw how basketball should be played and the way Woj, like, I know he only had a couple of years in that tenure. And again, I, I am simply just going off feel and the way the conversation was. I, I would be really curious to see if Diener is interested in Shaka. I can see a, there, there's a lot there that I think is relatable. You know, Tom, even just talking about how Shaka's teams at VCU, the way that assists were such an important part of, of the way they would score and such an important part of the way Travis has always seen the game. I think there's a really unique opportunity to bring in someone like him or even like a McNeil. Um, you know, I would love to see, can you imagine Shaka and Jarrell running defensive drills together? I mean, that gets me beyond excited. I don't know if Jarrell is, is uh, done any coaching yet. So I, I would go the Diener route. Uh, you know, the, Travis Diener obviously sees the game terrifically. In that tournament, he was the slowest guy on the floor, and he just saw everything and made some great passes. So then he, then he uh, posts up in the corner there and, boom, hits that dagger. It was unbelievable. He didn't really look like he was in that great a shape. I mean, I don't know if he drinks beer or not, but that could explain that. Life, for sure. Rumor has it that maybe he has one or two here and there. Yeah, so to kind of go back to a little bit to, to the, the VCU Shaka, the, the, the Texas Shaka, I, I do think that this was a really good learning experience for him. This is something, especially when, you know, I think in like year three or four of Woj, a lot of the people who were for Woj just say, you know, it's his first job. You got to give him time to grow. You got to have some bumps. You know, everyone always says, no, Jay Wright struggled at first. Everyone likes to go to that. But I think what is a gigantic difference is that you could definitely see Shaka understands the game 
in a way that Woj doesn't. And, and I do think that there were some really good learning bumps that he went through at Texas. And, and to know that he can have two styles a game, Mike, I think you had said this at some point too. Um, I, I, I don't know if you have the stats on hand, but I, I know that if you looked at uh, their pace of play at VCU to Texas, gigantic difference, just watching the games, watching the VCU games in Texas, you don't need a stat to tell you to tell how on a make VCU's already got the ball up at the half court line before the guy who made the shots feet even touched the ground, you know, or if you look at three point attempts, you know, VCU ranked 21st, 33rd and 30th in his last year, three years at VCU at Texas, he was 166 in three point attempts, 264th in the nation, 141st. Like you, unfortunately, like there's, this is a game of threes still, you know, you, you need to, you need to be able to light it up a little bit and scare some people, at least, even if you're going to be a dominant team in the block. And I get it right. I think Shaka saw size that he never had at VCU and said, I've got to take advantage of this size. I've got to get these guys involved rather than saying, how can I make them part of that system? And I think if we can see it, Shaka has probably seen it. I'm sure he's heard it. People have said to him about it. That's one well, of the things that I'm really looking about. articulated that in the interview as well. Maybe they, you know, I'm guessing, obviously we're not allowed in the interviews, but I'm guessing that Shaka was the biggest critic of Texas Shaka basketball during that interview than anybody's criticized Shaka Smart. Because otherwise, why would you hire him? I'm sure he explained exactly what he did wrong at at Texas and exactly how he's going to fix it at Marquette. Exactly what he's going to pull from VCU, exactly how he's going to get even better guards at at, uh, Marquette than than he got at VCU. And, you know, one thing, though, and moving to the other side of the ball defensively, he has been pretty consistent on that side of the ball. I mean, even when he was with Texas, you know, in his years there, he ranked 40th, 21st, 12th, 26th, 24th, and 35th in defense, according to Ken Palm. You know, that way, and yeah, VCU, you can go back to the VCU numbers, and, and, you know, they weren't necessarily as great, but there's a different talent level there, like of athletes that I think sometimes can keep you from being the defensive. But, you know, I watched the, uh, the, you know, the entire Kansas um, VCU, I think it was the elite eight game with the Morris brothers. Um, and, and there is defensive discipline there that I also saw when I watched a little bit of his, uh, you know, games in Texas too. stuff that I think Woj really had a hard time instilling some of those disciplines. You know, I think a lot of time I was always really hard on the way guys would hug a helpline when they knew they had a shooter in the corner on the weak side um, where, you know, you have to know your personnel a little bit. We struggled sometimes stopping gaps, guys from jumping gaps. Whereas, you know, I see very willing defenders when I watch Shaka smart defensive teams, guys with hands that are up, guys that will take that sidestep to help off the ball, but able to sprint back and get to their guy as well. And I feel like always with Woj's teams, we were always either a step too late or a step too soon. You know, his, the, I think we were all sick and tired of the slap the floor mentality defense when we actually just wanted to see someone get deed up. <laughs> yeah. And 
I covered that game you referenced, the VCU-Kansas game. Obviously, I covered all the Kansas games for 13 years. And those VCU players were so confident shooting threes that night, even guys who typically weren't three-point shooters, and they made them. And, you know, you have that underdog mentality. Then the next 10 games that uh, Shaka Smart and Bill Self squared off, do you know how many of those 10 games Shaka won? I do. I'm going to guess two. One of But then, uh, so he ended up three and 13 at Texas against Kansas. So, you know, that any way you want to slice the Texas thing, yeah, they played good defense because they had great athletes and he knows how to coach defense. But you can't slice the Texas thing as anything but a failure. And it wasn't the fault of Texas being a football school because it was a football school when Rick Barnes was there. And Rick Barnes won a couple of, shared a couple of conference titles with self, you know, uh, so no, you articulated very well, Adam, how uh, he did things different at VCU. And there's no reason to believe he can't be more the VCU guy as a coach at Marquette with talent that is somewhere on that continuum between VCU and Texas. And that's what we got to hope for and believe because Porter Moser wasn't hired. I think Porter Moser uh, is going to take somebody to an NCAA Final Four uh, again, uh, whether it's Loyola or someone else. I think he's a terrific basketball coach. And to ignore that or to say that he had two tournaments in 17 years, well, who expects Little Rock or uh, Illinois State to go to the tournament. In Little Rock, he inherited 7-24 and 24 and won 18 games in his first year. The guy's a, a terrific basketball coach. You can just point to Illinois State as his bad job. He didn't do a good job there. Uh, maybe his Illinois State is Shaka's Texas, and Shaka will turn back into Shaka Smart that the whole nation fell in love with. Well, you know, it's a, go ahead, Mike, go ahead. I was going to say, so touching on that, that difference between VCU and Texas, um, the style of defense that he played was also very differently. At, at, at VCU, he had that havoc defense that was causing turnovers. I think they were number one in the country several years in generating turnovers. But you can't really play that style of defense anymore. And he didn't at Texas. So what kind of principles aside from the turnovers that you've seen, Adam, do you think he could apply to Marquette to, to be different than Texas, but also successful? Well, I think the, the, the havoc mentality. And when you look at the numbers, uh, I forgot where I read this, but he had generated turnovers at VCU generating turnovers were, I think looking at it differently, instead of looking at generating turnovers, I want to see him speed up the off speed up the other team's offense. I want to see the havoc defense be disruptive to another team's system, and I think that that's how he can apply this in a little bit more of an uh, more of a little bit of a blend. Because you know, even when I was watching a little bit, and I don't know this enough about Texas, I didn't watch enough of it, but a lot of what it felt like was more three quarter court pressure that he was applying, where he was kind of not looking to trap, he wasn't looking to speed up but he was looking to, to, to slow down a little bit. I think we can find a blend of that, which would be really a, a great way for him to make sure that guys are playing with energy because that's a really important part too that we talked a lot about with the Marquette team where they were spurts of energy. 
and then like 10 possessions where it was like, where was this team at? Um, and, and I think Shaka's is going to do a better job at that. Tom, I want to see something. does style-wise defensively, it appears it's going to work because his teams always play pretty good defense. Yeah, it's going to be better than Woj, which is also a low bar. So <laughs> I don't want to compare it. You know, it's going to be better than Woj. Like, but I also don't, you know, as Marquette fans, like the, the minimum requirement is not to be better than Woj. No. It's, to get to, it's to get to the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight regular. I want to be the team that is, 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 is perennially feared. Um, and, you know, was, it, I want to go back to something. I want to just backtrack the time what you were saying about um, the whole idea that, you know, Shaka said a lot in his interview, you know, one of the big things about coming to Marquette is it's, it's just a basketball centric school, you know, Texas, it's not like Texas was like, Oh, basketball, we're going to ignore that. No big deal. Like they're, they're making a lot of money at that basketball program. That's a, that's a very important program. And, you know, you're, we're not going to get the real story behind the closed doors of what he said. Like you said, Tom, like I'm sure he was very honest with Bill Scholl about the things that he wants to change. But when I think about the decision that Bill Scholl made, I do, when I look at this, I don't, I think some people would look at Moser as a risky pick, Um, you know, moving a guy up to a big time program. I don't think any of us would necessarily think that, but I think if you look at maybe in a very general uh, sense, people might think that. I think Shaka was also the right, was, I don't know about the right, but for Bill Shaw was also a business decision. Shaka is a name. Shaka is recognized. Uh, I think that he couldn't afford to swing and miss because Woj was a bit of a risk. Woj didn't have like a, a re- he didn't have, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this was his first head coaching job. He was yes. assistant to Duke for a while. He, he doesn't, it's not like he had some long resume. And <clears throat> while Moser, you know, has been a head coach, it hasn't been at that elite level. And so I, I also think that this was a little bit of the safe pick especially after the pressure that seemed very apparent from the Marquette fan base and alum. You know, it's interesting you say that because that's what I've said in talking to friends that I think Shaka was the safer pick than Moser because a lot of people, well, Moser's been to, you know, look what he's done in the tournament lately. He was the safe pick. No, I think Shaka was the safer pick. Uh, I don't know that it was the right pick because, um, Again, Porter Moser, I think, is a, a phenomenal basketball coach. Shaka was a very good coach at DCU. Smart guy. He's got to stand back and look at what happened in Texas and not repeat those mistakes. And I'm sure he will. And, and, and you know, as far as who will pack the place more, Shaka or Porter Moser, I think Shaka is a, a sexier pick. So I think that will result in greater attendance. You don't make a decision based on short-term attendance, but next year, I think people will be so eager to get back anyway, be, you know, once the pandemic is under control enough to, uh, you know, have st- stands packed, I think Shaka will have a bigger influence on that. And yeah, there's no on the pandemic uh, quickly. Um, once everyone in the country has had the opportunity to be vaccinated, some are choosing not to because they think Bill Gates is putting a chip in their arm. <laughs> Those people I don't care about. Once everyone's had the opportunity to be vaccinated, we all just open everything wide open. And if those people, based on that decision, get sick, too bad. That's on them. 
The rest of us need to live. Well, here's what I'll say, Tom. Um, I got my vaccination. When you get yours, I can't wait to see you up at the Pfizer. There's a beer waiting there for you on me. Um, And I'm excited to usher in a new era of Marquette basketball. We really appreciate you joining us today. This was a real fantastic conversation. Uh, Maybe we'll get you back on the show regularly next year because uh, I really enjoyed this. And and uh, let's let's get excited. Let's be excited. I know this, you know, may not have necessarily be exactly what we wanted, but I think there's a lot here to be excited about. I thank agree you with you. Yeah, thank I've you so much, Tom. <laughs> I'll see you at the five serve, my friend. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> that felt good to get back on the pod. Uh, thank you again to Tom Keegan for joining us. We're going to hear from you again next year. And welcome, Shaka Smart. Welcome to Marquette Nation. Uh, we're happy to move into a new era of Marquette hoops and we wish you nothing but the best Uh, and we're going to see you guys next year we'll be right here with you we're hoping to do some shows in Milwaukee next year live so stay tuned Uh, and thank you again for what's been a fantastic first year on the podcast